We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group. And we have a very special guest on this bi-week edition of the podcast. It's Kevin Clark of the Ringer.com, of Twitter, uh, of the Ringer NFL show. A ton of great content. Kevin, how's it going, man? It's going great. I'm of Twitter now. That's a new one. I like that. <laughs> you, send, you, send enough, you send enough tweets, all of a sudden you're on Twitter. Well, you lead NFL Twitter in things I wish I tweeted. That's a great uh, point. It just means my, my brain is broken to the point that I, I, know, I know how to form those things. It is not, has nothing to do with me. It's all my, my broken brain. Yeah, you're not like a – it's not a high volume of tweets, but they're definitely quality, which I respect because I'm a volume shooter on that website. Like, I'm putting up 40 shots a game, and I might hit a couple, but I feel like you hit all of them. So, you're definitely of Twitter. Congratulations. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Do I get an award? Do I get a trophy? No. Uh, We'll work work something out. Being good at Twitter (laughs) is a good way to be a winner and a loser at the same time. Um. (laughs) Mostly a loser. Mostly a loser. So, the reason why we we wanted to have Kevin on is because he spent, I forget which week it was, a few weeks ago he was at the Niners facility uh, and he wound up turning out a really good piece about one George Kittle. And, uh, and so we wanted to have Kevin on to talk about that, to talk about the Niners as, uh, as they go into the postseason. Now we're, we're recording this a couple nights before wildcard weekend starts. So Kevin, I have a really broad question for you. Uh, and feel free to be as expansive or as short as you want. But from your perspective, somebody who covers the league as a whole, who isn't as close to the team as as we might be and, and has a different perspective, how good are the 49ers? Well, I, they're the best team in the NFC to me. Uh, and that's not just a one-seed thing. That's a, You look at the roster talent, you look at their play calling, their, their coaching staff, their depth. And obviously, they're injured right now, but so is everybody at this point. Um, or has been, and I think they will get healthier to a degree. And so I think that they're, if I were to make the prediction right now on bye week on January 2nd, I would have to say they're going to lose to the Ravens in the Super Bowl. That would be pretty interesting. Uh, so with, with Kyle Shanahan, um, I, I just like, 
I think the perception of uh, surrounding Kyle Shanahan is obviously he's a good play caller, but um, I don't know. I don't know really what the national perception is outside of that. I, I know he didn't have particularly great stints or in Washington, just in terms of the optics. Um, also in Cleveland, I know he he might have resurrected his image maybe t- outside the league with what he did in Atlanta. But where do you think uh, the the league as a whole is right now on Kyle Shanahan? And do you think he's a coach? He he's he has a really good case for coach of the year because I'm actually writing something that that's coming out on Friday that says he does, but I'm curious as to what you, what your opinion is. So I think that in a normal year, he has a great case for coach of the year. I don't think this is a normal year because this is the year of the Baltimore Ravens and a, a visionary offense there and a team that just went out of its way to, to build one of the best offenses and, and, and most creative offenses in history around Lamar Jackson. So I think if it's 2018, 2017, 2016, it's a very different case for Kyle Shanahan. But unfortunately for for the Niners, I just I just think that it's it's John Harbaugh's award. Um, but I think that he is, you know, to, to answer your question about his perception, I think he's considered a really really good coach. I mean, I think that there's very few play callers who take ahead of him right now. I mean, I think that if you're looking at the torch being passed, I mean, obviously it's funny because Shanahan's obviously. Uh, older than, than Sean McVay, but because Sean McVay popped earlier in, in NFL terms, um, that I, I think that people are now talking about Kyle Shanahan's play calling in the same way they're talking about Sean McVay two, three years ago. They're discovering that they didn't already know from a national perspective how good he is. We, I, I knew about him, um, you know, well before Atlanta, and I, I knew, you know, it's funny, Robert Mays and I, my, my, my pod co-host, uh, we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago about how underrated that Cleveland offense. Was. And nobody talked about it because obviously they didn't win any games and they got really injured along the offensive line and things went south. But from a pure football nerd standpoint, I think there's, a case, there's always been a case to be made for Kyle Shanahan. And then I think everyone figured it out in Atlanta. And he gets a little bit, he gets obviously dinged for the, the 28 to 3 play calling and all that. And, and you know, I think there was a lot there. Uh, and I don't think you can blame that all on Kyle Shanahan or Matt Ryan or. or, or Dan Quinn or anybody. I think that's, that's a, when you lose like that, it's a collective effort. Uh, it takes a lot of effort to lose when you're up 28 to 3. But beyond that, I just think that he is establishing himself as a great, great coach. And I think that he has the team to elevate his, uh, his profile even more in the next couple of weeks. A lot of the stuff that, that Niner fans hear about the 49ers obviously come from beat writers who are who are around the team from uh from OTAs through training camp and they're there day in day out um so the perspective is a little different you were there for a few days uh towards the end of the season uh where that already stacked up a bunch of wins was there anything that kind of stood out to you maybe that was a little bit different or uh that jumped out to you as to like oh that's part of the reason this team's so successful that maybe uh we don't see out on the field yeah, so, I mean, I think that the beat writers know this, but because they don't cover other teams, they may not have the comparison to make, but it is a really good locker room um, as far as personalities and, and chemistry. And listen, we don't know everything that goes on in that locker room, but you can usually, I mean, guys, if they're, they're, they're hanging out or, you know, the Ravens, you can see them sort of all together in the middle of the locker room and you kind of say, okay, there's, there's a good vibe here. And I think you get that kind of thing in San Francisco as well. I think that stood out um a lot of really interesting people there it was funny with, with kittle in particular i thought this was funny because so when i go to a place to do a profile i usually ask either you know players or pr staff or beat writers hey who's who's close with with so-and-so who's close with patrick mahomes who's close with lamar jackson and i asked that question about george kittle and the answer was literally everybody like there was no there was no, like, they, they did, you know, after a while, give me a couple of people and point me in the right direction. But literally everybody was like, no, he's friends with everybody in the locker room. And I think that was probably a pretty good sign about just the, um, the chemistry of the locker room. They could be 52 guys who were friends with George Kittle. I think that's not a unique experience in that locker room. And so I think that that, that was interesting from my perspective because, listen, I, I do go to bad teams, um, in November or December for whether that's, I was actually in Miami a couple weeks ago, but I think the culture there is actually quite good. But I do go to sort of lost season locker rooms 
and you can see it really easily most of the time. Um, again, I don't think Miami is one of those teams, but a lot of times you can go into a locker room and you can say, wow, this team, these guys do not like each other or these guys just want the season to end. And whatever the exact opposite of that is, I saw that in San Francisco. I think these two teams are not only excited about um, being good, but they're excited about each other too, I think. A lot of vibes, guys, in San Francisco, yeah. Truly, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> George Kittle, definitely a vibes guy. Absolutely. Big time vibes. I was very impressed with, with George Kittle and his presence and his vibes. So, <clears throat> speaking of Kittle, just, I mean, uh, we, we've talked about it on this pod, and, and you alluded to it in, in your piece that you wrote about him, but... I don't know that people realize that George Kittle is probably not only the best tight end in football, but maybe the best player or one of the best players in football. Like I, I personally think George Kittle is probably one of the three or four best guys just in the league at any position. Um, do, do you think, do you think along those same lines and just, just given the impact that he has on this 49ers team when he's blocking like he does and, and being the number one pass catching probably yeah. like he has yeah, I, I, I do. And I think that it's one of those things where, you know, we don't look at the MVP race in any rational way. And look, Lamar Jackson's the MVP of the NFL because if it was another quarterback, the the Ravens would not be where they are. Having said that, if I think that the way to view the MVP race kind of more rationally is what would somebody look like, what would a team look like if the guy was just gone, right? And we, we've seen the Niners without George Kittle and it's not like they completely fell apart. But I think that he, ch- he changes the face of this offense to the point that he is, I think, one of the most valuable players in this offense where he can, I mean, look at the Saints game. That's all you need to know is that they were trying to figure out, okay, you know, we'll run a couple plays and, and, and we'll try to plod down the field. And George Kittle just said, give me the ball. I'm going to take this. And I'm going to just, you know, stiff our Marcus Williams into, into oblivion, right? Like, I mean, that is the type of play that you expect from very, very few people in this league. And the ability to, you know, I, I, I always say this a lot. I once heard a boxer say this, but he said that the, the, the trait of being elite, looking like you're elite, it, it, it comes when you make a professional look like an amateur, right? And that's when, that's when you know you're elite. And I kind of think that that's what George Kittle does to people, is that he makes players look like they've never been on a football field before because he's going to run over them. Like, it makes, if you saw a really good player go against George Kittle, you will not let a really good player once the interaction is over. And I think that's the, the, the hallmark of a great player. Speaking of great players, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So I, I call it, <laughs> no, I call it, I call it the Twitter scale of greatness because the online conversation has become so condensed that there's not room for nuance right like it's either this guy is great or they're trash and if you try and say any somebody is less than the best in the league you're saying they're bad and I think Garoppolo falls in between those two things like I don't think he's good or bad but where do you stand on on Jimmy Garoppolo with maybe some nuance more than he's great or he sucks so I think that that's that is such a complicated question, and I and, and I think that the answer is is Jimmy Garoppolo a great quarterback on his own? Uh, I don't think so. Is Jimmy Garoppolo a great quarterback with Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers in 2019 and now January of 2020? I think he can be, and I think that it's it's dependent on a lot of different things breaking right. But I think that the play he is he is a good quarterback in that offense. Kyle Shanahan puts them in a position to succeed. Are there players who could run this offense and put up better numbers and, and be a better quarterback? Yeah, of course there are. But I don't think, you know, I think he's better than Jared Goff, for instance, who is similarly propped up in many ways by an offensive head coach. I don't, I don't think it's that, uh, I don't want to use the word dire, but I don't think it's that dramatic. I think that Jared Goff is pretty much a product of McVay. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo would be a fine quarterback um, without a, a really good offensive play caller. So I think it's extremely nuanced. I think that he falls victim to something, which is they're actually, even though he played big games in New England, he has not played a lot of big games on a national stage. And so from a perception standpoint, 
every time he does anything, whether that's on Sunday night football, Thursday night football, Monday night football, everyone overreacts to it because the, the nation does not have a huge catalog of Jimmy Garoppolo performances in their mind, right? And I think that when you start talking about media perception and fan perception and stuff, that stuff matters. And I think that as he plays more big games, and again, I'm going to the Super Bowl this year, I think that people will calm down on the instant reaction of Jimmy Garoppolo every time he goes a pass. Yeah, it's interesting to me with, with Garoppolo because just the raw numbers are pretty good. Like he's fourth in completion per- percentage. His yards per attempt is 8.4, and it's the mo- that's the highest among any quarterback that actually started 16 games. I think he's third overall behind Ryan Tannehill and, and somebody else. Uh, passer ratings eighth, touchdown passes tied for fifth with 27. Uh, I think I think the the stat that really illustrates what you're talking about and how he's propped up by Kyle Shanahan is the fact that. He is among the league leaders in yards per attempt, but he his air yards like per attempt is is one of the lowest in the league, and he does well, have a yeah. lot of easy completions, and there is a ton of yards after the catch with with what the 49ers do offensively. Yeah, and, and this is also not only a Kyle Shanahan thing, but a John Lynch thing too, because uh, Debo Samuel I think is one of the top uh, one of the top receivers and fourth tackles in the entire NFL, and obviously you have George Kittle. I mean. These guys know how to get yards after the catch, whether that's running people over, whether that's just avoiding the tackles entirely. This team knows how to get yards after the catch and help, help out Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't think they necessarily hold that against Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I thought something that you brought up on, on the last Slow News Day actually was <clears throat> really interesting where the 49ers and Ravens, you pick them to go to the Super Bowl because they're kind of zigging where everybody else is zagging. And they're getting bigger and more physical on offense to counteract these smaller, quicker defenses. Is what the 49ers are doing this year, is that going to be sustainable moving forward? Or do you think there's going to be kind of an adjustment to those two teams, especially if they wind up in the Super Bowl uh, with the NFL being such a copycat league? I think it takes a while for the NFL to to adjust to something like that because it's not like there's going to be a bunch of huge, stout, fast middle linebacker is right. available in this draft. Like the, the, the game has, has shifted so far towards the spread and towards speed and all that stuff. And obviously the Niners do have a lot of speed, but they're, they're also just, you know, they run the ball a lot. And they have, you know, guys like George Kittle and Debo Samuel, and they, they, they have really fast running backs. So I think, well, I think I saw the, you know, running across the, uh, the line of scrimmage most is 22 miles per hour this year, which I think is, second overall, something like that in the NFL. Um, they have some really, really fast guys on offense. But they also have the ability to just run down your throat or in George Bill's case to run you over. And I think that's going to be a defining trait of these playoffs. Will it last forever? I don't know. Um, I, I think that it's going to be hard, for, again, for a defense to figure it out because of, of a personnel issue and a personnel pipeline issue. But I think that generally they'll have an advantage for a couple of years. Now, what will happen if, you know, say, other teams decide to start investing in fullbacks? What will happen if teams start investing in huge tight ends and and, go, and and prioritize that? What happens when, by the way, when the Niners have to start paying some of these guys, they're giving George Kittle the extension he deserves, that kind of thing. I think there's there's a lot of things that are far out that could complicate the advantage they currently have as far as the offense goes, but I think they've, they've got it pretty set right now. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a a, a two pronged question here. Um, who do you want to Who do you want to see the 49ers play in that divisional round, and who do you think the best matchup in terms of uh, the most favorable matchup for the 49ers in that round would be? Yeah, I mean, from a storyline perspective, it would have to be Seahawks, right? I mean, I think that that's that's that is the I think I'd rather I want to see a, a rematch between the New Orleans Saints in the NFC Championship game uh, and, and, the, and the 49ers. But then in the divisional round, I think the Seahawks matchup makes the most sense just because of what we saw in Week 17. Mm-hmm. I really I'm not, not all that interested in the Vikings if they pull the upset. I'm not all that interested in the Eagles just because they're so banged up they can't really put up much of a fight. And listen, it's not out of the question that they beat Seattle, but I think it has to be Seattle. Um, from a narrative perspective, just because that was a tough game. I will say that the most favorable matchup, I guess it was in Philadelphia, just because of the way they were limping into the playoffs. I think Carson Wentz's ability to even get them this far and pull that upset over Dallas and, and cost Jason Garrett his job with, with a bunch of guys who were signed 
at receiver on you know December 22nd. That was very impressive. But I think that the team might be still goes into uh, goes into to San Francisco, Santa Clara. So it's not going to turn out very well for for a defeated team like that. So do you have time for uh, for a few more rapid fire questions here from Absolutely. Kyle? I have okay, seven great. of them, and they're all very important. I know we said 20 minutes. We're going a little long here. but uh, All good, dude. All good. Uh, all right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, I'm going to do some sign, trade, cuts with you because I think those are fun. Uh, so sign, okay. trade, and cut. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's navigate this. And you're, I'm getting Kyler Murray's out already. He's, he's number three in it. So you're he, cutting in Kyler Murray. He gets cut. He gets okay. cut. Just, wow, so, so you hate so Kyler Murray, what, duly so noted. What, what, scenario, what scenario is this in? Is this, a, is this the NFL passes a rule that you can only have one quarterback and I'm a GM? Yes. Okay, great. Great. The, the hypothetical we all know and love. Um, <laughs> I, w- I, would pick, I would pick Mahomes. To, I would oh, interesting. Elaborate. And I, w- I would love to I – I think we've forgotten – how good of a of a thrower Patrick Mahomes is, um, yeah. and h- how great he was last year, and the fact that he's still that well, he just he, he still plays that well. He just happened to dislocate his kneecap this year and have an ankle injury. Like I still think he's he is playing at an MVP level in a normal year. Um, I think that Lamar Jackson is as dynamic and interesting and great a talent as we've seen in this league, and I think that that will continue for a long time. Um, I, I'm I wonder, I wonder if you know. My, my only thought on, on Lamar Jackson is what sort of whether or not he can have this sort of unprecedented dynamic season if Greg Roman leaves and maybe if there's injuries along the offensive line, something like that. Remember, the Ravens it, it's a triumph of not only Lamar Jackson but of Eric Acosta and John Harbaugh and. Orlando Brown and Mark Ingram and all these guys, he has put in a position to speed unlike any player um, in a while. And he, he is as good as any player in a while. Yeah. But I would say that if I was going to take in a in a sort of in a vacuum, if I had to build a team around one person right now, it would be Patrick Mahomes. And I, it's, it's very close. Okay, that's fair. Uh, along the same line, sign, trade, cut, Kyle Allen, Will Greer, or Duck Hodges? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, we can toss it one so, out. That was a joke. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Hoosier... Duck Hodges I'm cutting, by the way. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That That's really all that matters there. Kyle Allen, Will Greer is a wash. So, uh, Your least favorite ringer co-worker, is it Danny Kelly or Danny Kelly? <laughs> is, this, is this anti-Seahawks? bias here it's, uh, <laughs> it, is, it is uh it is Danny Kelly. no i'm kidding i love Danny. I, I, everybody uh at the ringer is uh is, is an amazing person excellent glad to hear it uh who's been your favorite slow news day guest hmm so it's funny you ask that because so it, it, it's it's hard to name a favorite i would say externally it would be someone like guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel, who yep. actually is the most watched of all time. Um, I think that, you know, surprisingly, I, so we had Russell Wilson on. We had, um, like, Larry Fitzgerald was quite good. Surprisingly, I, I know this is going to be strange to, to say, one of our favorite guests is Case Keenum. Because huh. it was so it was right after the Minnesota Miracle. And it was, so they had just lost. And it was in Minnesota, and he was riding high. And he just, he was the first person to really, really early on, 2017, and he was the first person to get the show. Like, I feel like there were guys, like Melvin Gordon got it afterwards, and um, Alvin Kamara and Amari Cooper and those sort of guys. But I think that the, we were so excited that an NFL player, like, completely got it and played along and was talking awesome. about Peaky Blinders and stuff. That was, for us, probably a uh, – it was probably a little inside baseball because we enjoyed doing it so much. But I would say that outside the ringer, Guillermo and Case Keenum are one and one base. Excellent. Are you a big Peaky Blinders guy? I am, yes. As Same. is my producer, Jason Gallagher. Outstanding. Uh, how famous do I have to get to be on Slow News Day? <laughs> I'm trying to set career goals here. 
Yeah, so we have we, we have some requests, um, and I, I would say here's the thing: it suffers from the fact that there's only twenty episodes a year, right? Right. And then most of them are rare people. And now this year, because of some feedback we've gotten and also the metrics, we actually now have repeat guests, which we didn't have two years ago. Mm. We didn't have our worst picks in 2018 either. And so, you know, we'll have Rusilla on twice, or we'll have Maui Rubin on twice, or we'll have Mina Khan on twice. And so the pool is getting smaller. I, uh, I, I wouldn't, I would just chase it. Just keep chasing it. I'm not going to put okay. labels on how famous you have to be, I- but just... Just keep going. I'm getting it. I'm I'm getting in line. I'm set. Okay, I'm getting in line. That's fine. I'll take that. Uh, I have a I have this scorching hot take uh, that I argue with some people about, and I want your take on it. Uh, is Taysom Hill the best football player in the NFL? I don't think so. So I've heard this before. <laughs> um, I like not not someone tweeted at me a couple of weeks ago whether or not Taysom Hill would go first overall in a clone draft. <laughs> where you would have where you would have one player clone fifty three times and then you would play games, right? Yeah. And I actually think that the answer in that scenario would be George Kittle, right? No, full you could just circle. run the option. You would run the option with George Kittle. Yeah. And he, like who's tackling George Kittle? You have five George Kittles all on the line. And I asked Robert Mays about this and he said, Well you couldn't throw the ball with Kittle. I said, Well, you don't need to throw the ball. You're 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 gonna just keep moving the ball down the field. So is Taysom Hill the best football player? No, I don't think he is. I think there's I think there's a lot uh, a lot of guys who can do what he does. Sean okay, Payton just, just jams him down our throat in uh, in big moments. Okay. Those are all my questions. Fantastic. Okay, I have one more to, to end this real quick. Um, you you said you think the Ravens and and the Niners are most likely to play in the Super Bowl, but w- what do you think is is most likely to derail the Ravens' chances at at getting there? Well, listen, a month ago I thought it was be the Patriots' defense in some Belichick scheme, and now I've just lost complete faith in the Patriots. Complete that that Miami thing shook me to my core as far as believing in the Patriots. So. I think Patrick Mahomes. I think it's Patrick Mahomes, and I think that he can just light it up, and that defense is getting much better. Uh, and I think that they're they're getting to the place where I think that if if the Ravens didn't exist in their current form, we would we'd be talking so much more about the strides the defense that, that has made Kansas City in the last month. Because everyone all summer said, oh man, if Kansas City can just make an improvement on defense, if they can just do this on defense, if Honey Badger brings this, all of this stuff that we talked about hypothetically to the Chiefs, that sort of happened. Because they don't need to become they don't all need to become 11 Stephon Gilmore and, and hold everybody to a 20 passer rating. They don't need to do that. They just have to get good enough to where Patrick Mahomes is playing we're winning games for them. And, and that's actually not that of a bar to, uh, that's not that hard of a bar to clear. And so I think that that would be going into Baltimore, a guy like Patrick Mahomes can do that, but I just, I think you play that game ten times, that the Ravens win six and a half. A little known fact, Patrick Mahomes drafted seven picks after the 49ers took Solomon Thomas. What? Did you know that, Kevin? I did know that. And many teams, including the Jacksonville Jaguars and Chicago Bears, also picked. Hey, did yeah. you, did you know the Niners could have drafted Aaron Rodgers instead of Alex Smith? Not a lot of people talk about I, I, that. I also knew that. I also knew that. <laughs> hey, hey, I, every everything worked out. Like that's the thing. It's like everything's fine. Everything's good, and I'm sure they wish they had Patrick Mahomes, but they might win the Super Bowl this year. All right. Well, that's a. Uh, I think that's that's a good thought for our listeners as as we wrap this up kevin thank you so much for uh for joining us tonight and um and guys check out kevin on uh the ringer.com on twitter for sure what's your i don't what's your handle by kevin clark kevin clark okay and uh and yeah keep an eye out for slow news day and kyle's eventual appearance on there we'll uh we'll have to check that out i'm in line baby All right, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will see you around the bend, maybe at playoff time somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's the, uh, I don't want to telegraph 
my travel, but uh, that's, I'm planning on being up there in, in two weeks. Oh, cool. Well, well, we will see, we will see you here then. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, okay, buddy. Thanks, guys. Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Well, because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your shape or size, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit locate... Well... <laughs> With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Brick and Mortar is one of my favorite TV shows. It's about this like mad scientist grandpa and his grandson who's kind of an idiot. And they like travel <laughs> through space and stuff together. You should check it out. I think it's on Adult Swim. Brick and Mortar. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> promo code BLUE. Untuck it. All right, so we do have a little bit of news. The 49ers are enjoying their bye week, but they're also practicing. They were back on the practice field Thursday for the first time since beating the Seahawks. And the big news of the day was that linebacker Quan Alexander was practicing in a blue non-contact jersey. And everyone around the facility is pretty fired up about it. And it was somewhat surprising that Alexander was out there this week. Uh, because Kyle Shanahan said on his conference call on Monday that there was a chance Alexander would be ready for uh, the NFC title game, which is two and a half weeks from now. Uh, so it's interesting from my vantage point because I just didn't expect Alexander to be out this early. And I don't know if it increases his chances at playing in the January 11th divisional game. But it doesn't hurt them necessarily. And the way Alexander's talking, the way his teammates are talking about him, I, I think there's a, a reasonable chance he plays in the game. And that, that is purely speculation hmm. on from my standpoint. I, I haven't heard anybody say that. But the way guys are talking in the locker room like he's back, um, Nick Bosa called him the team MVP today, which I thought was really interesting, just, just talking about the impact his – uh, the emotional impact he has on the team, sort of that fiery leader that we talk a lot about, the leader of the hot boys, um, the guy who you know breaks down all the linebackers' chance and uh, and is really the emotional spark plug of the team. Um, you know, Nick Bosa said he's the MVP of the team, and he only played in eight games. And uh, obviously, Nick Bosa is talking about it more from an emotional perspective, obviously from a defensive perspective. But I thought that was fascinating, and Dre Greenlaw sort of echoed the same thing, saying he's the emotional leader of the team. Um, so, look, I'm not I'm not saying that Quan, that uh, you're Quan not Alexander's reporting this. the January 11th game, but I'm not ruling it out either. And I think uh, that that's until we hear otherwise, um, it it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world for Alexander to play because keep in mind too, JJ Watt tore his pec four days before. Or Quan Alexander did October 27th. Alexander did it on Halloween, October 31st. And Watts playing this weekend in the wildcard round for the Texans against the Bills. So, uh, if, and obviously they're not, the injuries aren't exactly the same. They're different people, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that Watt is playing this weekend a week earlier than Alexander is, um, I, I, I tend to think that we can't rule it out. And I guess that's the only point I can make on, on Alexander without completely speculating like a, like a buffoon. Yeah. I want to, I just want to double. You're not reporting that you are. I'm not reporting that. You're not reporting it. What Has was this podcast is, ever been aggregated? No, but I kind of hope it gets aggregated for that. Um, I should yeah. start saving some of my sweet news scoops for, for the pod so we can get aggregated report. Chris Biederman single quote speculates <laughs> no uh hey that's an inside joke on the podcast you all loved it um chris biederman yeah. colon 
not ruling out <laughs> Quan Alexander. No, so so I have a because I'm with you. I was really surprised to hear Alexander was back today, and I have a list of Niners tweeters. Like I have tweet deck up, and so it's just all my all the Niners beat writers, um, uh, some of the bloggers. Who tweeted it first? Who, who tweeted it first? Just curious. Uh, Kiana Martin, I believe, did. No, she didn't. Get out of here. You did. You did. No, and, and, no, and no. Specifically, okay. your your tweet popped up because part of my job during during the show, I'm I'm doing the show while the Niners are, are practicing. Bonte's Dining and Guru on ninety five seven the game, and part of my job is just kind of canvassing Twitter and making sure you know we're not missing anything, and that popped up, and I read it and then read it twice and then literally clicked your profile to make sure, like. I, it was A, you, and B, that, like, you hadn't tweeted the wrong name or... Oh, it wasn't a fake account? Yeah, like, I knew it wasn't, but it was such a weird, like... No, this hasn't even been, like... Th- no one's... There's not even been a whisper of, like, hey, Quan Alexander might practice on Thursday. Right. Like, it was totally uh, out of nowhere. And right. so I'm I'm kind of with you, and that was my immediate thought, was does his early return... Is this just, like, hey get a couple of bonus practices in and that way, you know, the NFC title game rolls around, he's fully ready and there's not this like uh kind of not hangover, but there's not this adjustment period or mm-hmm. are they getting him ready to play possibly next week? Um so that's something that's definitely I think worth monitoring uh because that could be a pretty significant deal. Um, yeah, and, and I'm I'm interested to see how the team's prep is moving forward, uh, if that is on the table because of all the things you mentioned and how the players respond to him. Right, and uh, I I didn't want to be dismissive about I, that sounded really dismissive about the Kiana Martin thing. So the here's the here's the story. There's a story behind this. When you when you're covering practice, you are not allowed to tweet from the field. The Niners PR staff wants you to leave the field if you're going to send a tweet. Because they don't want people just sitting on the sideline live, live tweeting thing, mm-hmm. things because there can be all sorts of problems if people don't do it correctly. So we get to practice. We see stretching. I see Quan Alexander warming up, and I immediately turn around and start speed walking off the field. Kiana walks right past me, and she was like, oh, you got a fire tweet? And I was like, boy, do I. And then so I went off the field fired the tweet off and I was the only one to do that and then walked back onto practice. So that's why I, I was, you know, sort of dismissive of the idea that Kiana had it first because, because <laughs> we, we had a discussion about firing off the tweet first. So that's so funny. Uh, just, <laughs> just for clarity's sake, Kiana's a homie. Kiana's great. Um, yeah. So Quan Alexander might be back and uh, that's potentially big news. And it's also interesting because it comes at the same time that Dre Greenlaw just made one of the plays of the year, Alexander's filling in, obviously, yep. uh, with his tackle to end that Seahawks game. Other little bit of news, uh, Earl Mitchell, nose tackle, is also back with the team. He, I guess, retired in November after not making the Seahawks out of training camp. But Mitchell, of course, spent the last two seasons with the 49ers playing nose tackle. A quality veteran, uh, a veteran presence. I don't know what kind of shape he's in. I don't know how productive he's going to be or how much they're going to lean on him to play nose tackle. But he is their only natural nose tackle now that they have on the roster, uh, which was an issue that they had because they were trying to you know, start Sheldon Day, who's not a terrible player. But, but Day is more of a backup three technique. I, I don't know if I want him as my zero uh, run-stuffing nose guard. I think he's more of a rotational interior pass rusher type guy. Uh, who does have a little bit of juice to him, but I, I just if he's your starting nose tackle, I think that's an area you're, you're looking to upgrade, and I think the 49ers obviously did that by getting a natural nose tackle in Earl Mitchell. What's interesting, I maybe uh, this isn't this doesn't actually matter, but it's it's interesting that they gave Earl Mitchell number 93, which is Jones's number. Um, hmm. And I don't know if there's anything to that, or if it's worth reading into at all, or if he's just going to have a different number in like the 70s by the time the game rolls around. <laughs> uh, but so that's a thing. Earl Mitchell's wearing DJ Jones 93, which is odd because the Niners are so high on DJ Jones, but um, probably not a thing. I wonder if there was it. a transaction there or something. Could be. Uh, that that wouldn't be crazy. I think I think one of the big things is this is just one of the big things we've been talking about with the Niners defense, and it's kind of stumbled a little bit here at the end of the season. 
especially the pass rush, has been uh, not ineffective, but definitely less effective than it was early in the year. And part of that was because of the lack of depth. And if D Ford's coming back and Earl Mitchell can give them uh, some snaps in the middle, that just changes up how they can rotate guys in and out. And that'll allow them to stay a little bit more fresh later in games. So I, I think that, that that's kind of one of the uh, big keys to the Mitchell signing as well is just kind of reestablishing some of the depth that they lost with all the injuries uh, along the defensive front. Uh, that is a perfect lead into the stat that Bill Barnwell had on ESPN in a playoff piece that he did about every team in, in the postseason. Um, Quan Alexander, Nick Boson, D Ford, when all three of those guys are on the field this season, that, that's happened for 108 defensive snaps. Opposing quarterbacks have a QBR of 3.0 when those three players are on the field together. So three out of 100. Uh, over 108 Jeez. snaps. So it's not a big sample size, but it's definitely not like a tiny sample size. It's probably about two games worth or a game and a half's worth, depending on the game. Excuse me. So uh, Alexander, Nick Bosa, and D. Ford are very important players to the 49ers defense, obviously evident by that stat. And it's probably not a coincidence that we've seen this downturn from the 49ers defense. At the same time, Alexander and Ford have missed uh, significant chunk. So D four did not practice today. Uh, the 49ers still remain optimistic about the chances he's around for the divisional game. I wouldn't be surprised if he missed basically every practice until the game, or if he was maybe like limited, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday of next week, the last two practices before the game on Saturday, yeah. uh, just to make sure that you're not overworking that hamstring and he's still working out. He's rehabbing. Um, and these are sort of bonus practices that the 49ers are having because they are on the bye week. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Uh, one other thing, Jaquaski Tart back on the practice field in a blue non-contact jersey. He did return to practice last week before the Seahawks game. Of course, he fractured a rib uh, December 1st against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he, he first returned to practice last week. That was the first time he's been back. And I think it's telling... The 49ers might have um, might have signaled that Tart's going to play in that divisional game because in order to make room for Earl Mitchell on the roster, the team released Anton Exum Jr., who, of course, is a backup safety, who was added in light of Tart's injury. Um, so I think there's a chance that the 49ers are going to have at least two of those three guys back uh, for that divisional round when we're talking about Jaquaski, Tart, D. Ford, and, and Quan Alexander, which could be a pretty significant lift uh, at just the right time in the season. Yeah, I think I think the Jaquaski, Tart uh, addition, almost more than any of them, would be would be really significant. Just because going into the final week of the season without Jaquaski, Tart, the Niners were giving up like more than thirty points a game, nearly three hundred passing yards a game, and I think that had a lot to do. Uh, with missing Tart, just because of some of the different things they can do coverage-wise with him uh, that they can't do with Harris. And that's not really a knock on Harris. He's just played not even a full season's worth of games. Um, so I think getting Tart back there, uh, the experience he has with the defense and just the general NFL experience he has will be will be really beneficial for, for San Francisco's secondary. All right. Uh, uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend in terms of football stuff? Do you have it? Do you have any thoughts? Any uh, any any takes? Yeah, I'm on, actually on the NFC. I'm actually surprisingly. Oh, on the NFC. <laughs> I was I'm really or looking. You can I'm, say any anything for wildcard weekend. I'm really looking forward to the Buffalo Houston game. I know that's okay. weird because that first playoff game is reserved for the Texans uh, from now until eternity. And it's or almost, just the NFC or the AFC South winner as a whole. Yeah, and it's just always a bad game. But I it feel was, like I feel like that game's going to be super fun, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, I, I'm just going to go down the list of games. I think Tennessee might knock off New England, and just the fact that so many people think that's going to happen means New England's going to win by two touchdowns. But sure. I'm I'm very excited to see what Tennessee can do. My Titans uh, can do up there in New England. Um, <laughs> I think Minnesota might, or uh, I think New Orleans might kind of kill Minnesota. Kind of kill Minnesota. Yeah, I think they might. I think New Orleans is 
favored by eight, and I think they're going to win by more than that. And yeah, it, it's just I know this is so lame, but just Kirk Cousins going into New Orleans and winning a playoff game just doesn't compute in my head. Yeah, that's fair. The Superdome is just a completely different place, man. Like you don't yeah. really you hear about it, but I I went there for the first time as a media member uh, a couple weeks ago, obviously when the Niners played there, and it is just completely ridiculously loud. And the fact that you have to go against Drew Brees and Sean Payton, like Drew Brees is just ridiculously difficult to beat there. And uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins. I would be very, very surprised if they did. But the Vikings do have a pretty good defense. They do. Like, defense, some weird they... things could happen. But I feel Are, like... Is Dalvin Cook going to play? Yes. Are we educated? In... He yes. is going to play. I believe so. Okay. So they can do some play action and run the ball a little bit. I don't foresee Minnesota coming to Santa Clara in two weeks. Fair? Fair. Yeah. Fair. I think there's at least a 80% chance uh, that probably a 90% chance, maybe more than that, that it's going to be either the the Seahawks or Eagles. Um, I personally would rather see the Eagles because I've already watched the Seahawks twice and yeah. I've written, I've written a ton of things about the Niners playing the Seahawks. And I do think the Seahawks present a much more difficult challenge than the 49ers or than the, than the Eagles would to Kevin's point. But I would just like some new blood. I would like a new team to dive into uh, selfishly. And But I do think round three between Niners and Seahawks would be pretty epic. And uh, and being back at Levi's Stadium where the Niners lost to Seattle in November would, would be interesting. But I, I do think Seattle should win that game. Seattle should I, definitely handle business. But I do think... I do think Lincoln Financial Field in January, even though the Eagles are banged up and probably the worst team. Uh, I think they're going to thrive off that, though. The Eagles? Or yeah. The Seahawks? Like, they have the dog mask, like the underdog mask, and, like, this year they can play the ultimate underdog card with, with how beat up they are, and I think the fans really feed off of that. And yeah. I, I'm I'm with you. The link is, is dangerous. For sure, they do have a statue in Philadelphia of uh, of Rocky Balboa. What the underdog story? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other the other selfish thing I, I'm I'm with you. Uh, Seattle San Francisco round three would be would be epic, uh, but I would really like to watch Carson Wentz in person. I have not gotten to do that yet, and. Yeah. He is really terrific. He's a lot of fun to watch, uh, even though his receiving core is like a couple undrafted guys and like three lucky season ticket holders. So <laughs> um, I, I, I think watching Carson Wentz in person would be fun. But uh, either way, like when you just look at the slate of NFC teams, there's not like a like, oh, the Niners for sure want to see that team because that team is going to be an easy out. Like even Philly, just with their with their playoff experience, I think Philly, if you're ranking them, is definitely like the quote unquote easiest, just because they're down a left tackle and all their receivers. But I think I heard Deshaun Jackson would be back for the divisional game. Um, and, and just they 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 have enough players on defense that can that can I'm gonna do this they can do some stuff on the defensive line. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they just they have that experience, and Doug Peterson is a good coach. And and I think no matter who the Niners see uh, next week, there's going to be uh, it, it's not going to be a walk in the park for sure. Yeah, it's probably going to be Seattle, um, and it's probably going to be Russell Wilson scrambling around and making a bunch of ridiculous off schedule right, plays I, again. I've seen and every, the 49ers are going to have to figure it out. Every Seahawks game is exactly the same. Like I'm, right. I'm over it. I've <laughs> this, <laughs> like, the Niners are better than the Seahawks, but Russell Wilson is a top two or three MVP candidate, and he's capable of putting a team on his back and and making games close. And it's just mm -hmm. like they don't play a particularly exciting brand of football. They don't do anything like great except have Russell Wilson. And like I've watched Russell Wilson twenty times in my life. I got. I don't yeah, need to see it I'm again. 
I know. And uh, all this complaining about the possibility means it's absolutely happening. For so... sure. Look forward to Niners Seahawks <laughs> 3. <laughs> It'll be fun no matter what. I do think if it's the Seahawks, there's going to be a little bit more verve in uh, uh, in the stands. Not that, you know, like Levi's would be pretty, uh, I, the atmosphere would be good regardless of who the opponent was in the playoffs. But if it's the Seahawks in particular, I think fans would be a little a little more rowdy than if it was the Eagles because there isn't really much animus between the Niners and Eagles as like organizations. Um, and the teams, you know, they played each other, what, in 2017 in December in Philly when the Niners got boat raced. But, um, yeah, I... Uh, I'm expecting it to be Niners Seahawks, which would be fun. I just uh, wouldn't need to put my thinking cap on and and find new angles to to write about since everything else is, has been hit ad nauseum at this point. But uh, we will know on Sunday who the Niners are going to play. The Minnesota Vikings somehow beat the New Orleans Saints. The Niners would play them. Uh, if not, if the Saints win like they obviously should, then it's going to be the winner of the Seahawks game in Philadelphia. And we will talk all about that matchup, what we learned from those games on Sunday in the next podcast we'll record on Monday night. The Niners are going to have their normal week of practice starting a day early because it's on Saturday. So they'll have three straight practices Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before an off day Friday and then the game Saturday afternoon. Uh, And so we will have a pod Monday night and I guess Thursday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night. Either way, we'll figure it out. And... uh, we will talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening. Shout out to Kevin Clark. Check out all of his stuff on The Ringer, uh, Slow News Day, The Ringer NFL Pod. And, um, and yeah, we will see him in a couple weeks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.